0: You're listening to the Harborside Church podcast. To connect with us online, go to www.harborside.org. We hope you enjoy this message. Guys, it's my pleasure to do the reading for us this morning. If you've got a Bible or a phone you want to open up to, Romans chapter 8. I'm going to be starting with the first four verses. Therefore, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Thanks, Sean. Good morning, everyone, and hello again. Uh, A great morning it's already been. Uh, Caleb, thanks so much for for leading us through that time. It's difficult to know what to do in difficult circumstances. Uh, Pippi and I volunteered at a barbecue at the school, and we ran into a friend of ours, and he said, I've just been so upset about the week's events, and I don't know what to do. And uh, as Christians, as hard as these things are, we know what to do, we, we can turn to God and ask Him to prevail, to comfort, to lead, to bring peace. And that alone is an incredible blessing. And in the same vein, before we start the message, I just thought I'd acknowledge what's happened overnight with the referendum. Uh, people will have different views on this subject and that's okay. But I'd like us just to spend a moment to pray, to pray for unity for our country, and particularly to pray for positive outcomes, regardless of last night, for our indigenous brothers and sisters. So would you join me as we pray, just before we get going? Heavenly Father, we acknowledge you are sovereign, you're in control, and you're good. We also acknowledge you're above parties, and politics, and yet we know God that You care for every single one of us. Lord, we ask that our Indigenous brothers and sisters would not feel rejected from the outcome of yesterday's referendum. We do ask, Lord, that You would help close the gap for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in so many areas there is great need and we ask god that you'd use us that you'd use the church to lead in this that we might display what service really looks like regardless of politics that we might show love and grace in jesus powerful name amen amen thank you I want to ask, have you ever found yourself asking the question, is it really true? Have you ever heard something and thought, too good to be true? Is it really true? I remember talking to my kids when they were pretty little, I guess not that long ago. We are talking about the whole Santa thing. And they're just like, is it really, really, Dad? Is it really true? I mean, understandably, they were amazed one person could deliver presents all around the world one night to every kid. Daddy, are you telling me when I wake up tomorrow at the end of my bed, there's going to be presents? Really? Is it really true? Wow. Wow, is it really true? Maybe for us big people, you might still be wondering about Santa. I'm not sure. For us big people, it might be different. It might have been a job offer. Something comes through, and the email, whoa, or a phone call. Is it really true? They're pretty amazing moments, aren't they? Is it really true? Or it might be the, um, that girl or boy of your dreams you find out likes you too. Oh, is it really true? Is it really true? Might be diving into the wonders of creation. Oh, is it really true? Or science, looking at the amazing things that God has made in our world. Is it, that's amazing. It's blowing my mind. Is it really true? The promises contained in this chapter of Scripture we are looking at over the next six weeks, that's right, one chapter over six weeks, they're like that. Wow, is it really true? I find myself again and again marveling at God's promises and wondering in awe, is it really true? I mean, really? Really true? God's love and forgiveness are offered as a free gift in Christ, and we can be sure of that gift. We don't need to wonder, is that really true? Is it really true? seems too good. See, this is what Christians call assurance. What does that mean? Just being sure of knowing that we have God's acceptance. Knowing that we have his forgiveness, knowing that we have his love, that's assurance. And that is offered nowhere else. I'll say that again. It's offered nowhere else other than the Christian faith, other than Christianity. Assurance is found nowhere else. So, therefore, it's a shame when we live like that's not true. It's a shame when we live with uncertainty when it comes to God's love. When it comes to his forgiveness, Christians thinking eternity with God, oh, I'm not, I don't know, it's uncertain. Christians living with the possibility of forgiveness, not the certainty of forgiveness. It's a shame. And let me say, it doesn't have to be that way. Here's a question. I'm sure you've heard it before, but it reveals something. If you were die- to die tonight, do you think God would accept you and let you into heaven? If your answer to that is yes, let me say that's not pride. That's not arrogance. You might feel like it is, but it's not. It's what God wants for his people. This is assurance, being sure of God's love and forgiveness. It's not pride, why? It's not based on our performance. Right? And what does this produce? It doesn't produce arrogance, it produces sweet. Freedom, and we're going to explore that in this series. But I tell you what, maybe you read this verse, Sean read it so well, for it's just four verses we're looking at this morning from chapter eight. You read that first verse, which is there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. But you read that and you think, oh, I don't know, you still might feel rejected. You might wonder. I don't know, am I really a child of God? Like I'm sitting in church right now, the people around me, they seem like real Christians. I reckon they could probably claim with confidence to be a child of God, but I don't know about me. Is that you? Can, can I with confidence call myself a child of God? Maybe you don't, you know, does God really love me? I don't know. You don't know all the stuff I've done. I mean, I know Dave and Caleb, you're up there each week, other people telling me that God loves me, but I don't know. You don't know what's happened. Maybe you think, I get Jesus forgives us, but there's got to be some kind of limit. I mean, I struggle with the same kind of sin all the time, all the time, all the time. I ask for forgiveness again and again and again. It's got to stop somewhere, surely. it has got to be a limit. He can't keep forgiving me, can he? Maybe you have doubts and you think, you know, because I have doubts, my faith is a bit rocky, you know? Maybe then I don't actually have true faith. Is that you? Is it really true? You know, deep down, so many of us have got haunting doubts. Suppressed shame, heavy guilt. You know what these things do? They steal our joy. They steal our joy. All right. If you can relate to anything I've just said, you need Romans 8. You need it. These next six weeks, you need it, I need it. This chapter is full of some power. This chapter starts with there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus and it ends with nothing can separate us from the love of God. This chapter is big. It's powerful. It's like a warm, wonderful hug of assurance. Which means we can be sure of God's love and acceptance. This is God. what God wants for his children, right? He wants to save us and he wants to, us to know that we're saved. You hear that? He wants to save us and he wants us to know that we are saved, to experience it here and now. But here's where this passage just, its so good, really hits the road for us. That's what I love about the Bible. It just relates to us so well to our everyday life. Because in between, there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus and nothing can separate us from the love of God. That's where we live. In between those two huge statements, that's where we live. The everyday, the good and the bad, the up and the down, the mundane. and that That's where we live. And in our life, Paul knows, the one who wrote this, the Apostle Paul, he knows there's two things particularly that contribute to our struggles in life, sin and suffering. Sin and suffering. Sin can drag us down, we know all too well, can derail our spiritual lives. And suffering can cause us to doubt God's love. And I think our experience of both of these things, of sin and suffering, can undermine, can't it, don't you think? It can eat away. It can white ant our faith. It can chip away at our hope and assurance, our experience of sin and suffering. And as I age, I guess I'm not old, i middle-aged now. As I, as I get older, I, I, I recognize this. I know it's weird having a camera in my face then. Thanks for being cool with that. We are, we are, we're shooting a new vision statement app for our church. And so anyway, thank, thanks for being here, brother. You're a legend. He's, but he has permission to be here. Okay. <laughs> were you thinking, who is this dude? Okay. But as I age, I experience this sometimes, right? Why? I think because as we get older, we maybe get some more self-reflection, and we look in the mirror, and we see the presence of sin. And we witness the complexity of it, and sin in other people's lives, and the complexity of suffering. The longer we live, the longer we're going to have to live with these realities, yeah? Of sin and suffering. And i tell you what can grow, cynicism. We've got to fight that, don't we? Cynicism, it can grow. I experience it in my own heart and in my friends, Christian friends, as we age. But let me say, cynicism is no friend of the Christian. Cynicism builds nothing. It eats everything. It's no no friend of Christian hope and assurance. We've got to fight cynicism, which is what I think sin and suffering produces so what do we need friends what do we need we need god we need his word and we're going to dive into it this morning we're going to mine it for all it's worth to gain hope and assurance so i hope that you're with me let's feed our souls together amen amen let's dive into this passage we're going to start at verse seven now we work this working okay great it's working we're going to start at verse 3. We're going to go pretty slowly because this is good stuff. Verse 3 of Romans 8. For what the law was powerless to do. I'm just going to press pause there. For what the law was powerless to do. That's a bit confusing. What does that mean? What the law was powerless to do. As human beings, I wonder if you can if you agree with me here, we like lists. Anyone a to-do list person, I am. How good does it feel crossing things off? It feels so good. Why is that? We like lists as humans, don't we? We like rules. like a list of things to do. I think it's because we'd like to know how we're going. Are we on track? Are we measuring up? Most world religions... Have a set of laws they require people to follow in order to to fulfill various requirements. Otherwise, how do you know how you're tracking? How do you know how you're matching up? In fact, left to our own devices, I would say we are unable. We cannot come up with a way to reach God or some other higher plane without fulfilling some set of requirements. Uh, I enjoyed watching the uh, TV show The Good Place. Has anyone seen that? they good with 10 Dance and I think Kristen Bell. It's a good show. Gee, it's funny. It really is funny. It surprised me with how many times I laughed throughout this show. It's great. Uh, really is good. Obviously, don't condone everything that happens in that show. But it is hilarious. And at every level of the show, it gets more complicated as it goes, It's every level of the show, they cannot, it, it's about, it's set in the afterlife, right? It's a TV show, a comedy set in the afterlife. And at every level of the show, they cannot come up with a way for people to be sent to the good place or the bad place without some incredibly intricate system that measures people's good deeds or bad deeds. And I was a bit disappointed when that was revealed. It's like, oh, really? Man, it's just so predictable. It's ancient. Seems to be modern too. Now, Christianity is not like this. It stands alone. Let that settle. It stands alone. And yet, we have a law. We looked at it, we did a whole series in Exodus, didn't we? And we looked at the Ten Commandments. God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. We have a law. It's central to the storyline of the Bible. So what's the place of the law then? What's the place of it? It's a good question. It can seem confusing. A bit like watching one of those spy movies where there's double agents. You know, and you're thinking, who is that person? What side are they on? Are they on the Russian side or the American side? The law, which side is it on? If you're saying Christianity is not about the law, but we have a law, is it working for us or working against us? Is it from God or is it from somewhere else? It's a great question. It's an important one. Are we listening? Is the law working for God or working against God? All right, well, let's figure this out together. The law is from God, it is holy and it's good. Let's remember that. It is holy and it's good. And Knowing the law, we know what God's like. We know what he likes. We know what he doesn't like. We know know about his character. Every relationship has boundaries, right? Every relationship. So it's good to love God and to love others. It's a way to sum up the law as Jesus did in the New Testament. That's good, to love God and love others. But here's the thing. We can't do it. You can't do it. I can't do it. And just knowing the law doesn't help us keep it. And more importantly, it doesn't motivate us to keep it. It's a really important point to make. And here's something, I wonder how you feel about this, something even crazier. Part of ourselves, our sinful nature, we'll talk about that in a second, when it interacts with the law, it actually exposes more sin. And makes it increase. Isn't that a crazy thought? This is what Paul says in Romans chapter 7. The chapter before Romans 8. What we're looking at. He says this. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? We just talked about that, didn't we? What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. The law showed me what sin was. For I would not have known what coveting was, that is, desiring something that's not your own. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. You see the point he's making here? Here Paul is painting the picture of the law like a demanding boss. You ever have one of those? Like a demanding boss? Caleb, don't say anything. Like a demanding boss or a graceless pastor or or a, a controlling parent? You ever lived with one of them? Naggers. They're tough to live with, aren't they? Naggers. They are tough to live with. But here's the frustrating thing about naggers they're often right. Isn't that the worst? They're often right. But you know what? Doesn't motivate us to do what they want, does it? You know what's the confronting thing? It often makes us want to do the opposite. Yeah? St. Augustine, who was a writer, a, a beloved church father, lived in the fourth century. He tells a story. He became a Christian later in life. And his pre-conversion is, is amazing. He's written a book called Confessions. And he, he's a very relatable person. And he, he used to hang around when he was young with a gang, right, with the young rebels. And um, he tells this story. There was a, a, a large pear tree. Of, with uh, had pears. It was in season. They were ripe. Uh, and it was near the boundary of his family's property. And uh, the, his parents and the owners of that property had strictly told him, don't take them don't take these pears. But the young rebels, you know what they did? In hearing that commandment, it made them want to do it. And here's the thing, they didn't even like the taste of pears. So one night, they climbed the fence, they took as many as they could, they took one bite, and they threw them to the pigs. Now later, after he became a Christian, he looked back at that period in his life, at that time, he thought, what was going on when when I acted like that? Why did I do that? Why did I act like that? It's exactly what Paul is talking about here. The law exposed something going on in his heart. He has a rebel heart, just like me. If he hadn't been told to take the pears, he reckons he probably wouldn't have even been interested. I wonder if you can relate to that. Law does to sin what fertilizer does to my lawn. It makes it grow. And interesting. Law doesn't motivate on its own. That's why reverse psychology seems to work. Have you ever wondered why it does? Well, every, every now and then, um, we, and I mean Pip really, <laughs> seeks, to, <laughs> seeks to clean out the clutter from the kids' rooms. You know, as they age and we get rid of some toys and, you know, we put the toys down the, downstairs and, you know, donate pile and a throwaway pile. And the kids go, What are you doing with those things? You know what they want to do? All they want to do is play with those things. We've said to them, don't touch them. We're going to donate them. We're going to throw them away. And what do you think they want to do? That's all they want to do is play with those things. And so now we do it under the cover of darkness. (laughs) Kids, now you know why your room has less stuff in it. We know this to be true. Tell a child not to play with a certain toy they haven't been interested in. What do you think they're going to want to do? Right, Studies have been done on this many times. Right, Why does it work? What's it telling us? It's telling us something. It's telling us we're hardwired to do the opposite of what we're told. You're a bunch of rebels. Me too. The law of God has many roles. And remember, it's good. But saving us isn't one of them. We can't obey it enough to get it into heaven and on its own, it doesn't motivate us to want to do what it says. It's why Paul, shockingly in verse 2, calls the law, the law of sin and death. It's not the law that's bad, it's what it produces. And that's a pretty full-on thing to say, isn't it? So what's the problem? What's the problem then? God's law is not the solution. It's not the problem either. The problem, as Augustine found out, as you may already know, is our rebel hearts. Next, next, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. What does that mean? For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. Weakened by the flesh. Flesh is often translated as sinful nature. Flesh doesn't mean love handles. Okay, doesn't mean that. You know what they are? Sinful nature. That is something within us. It's our rebel heart. Right? It's like we're born, we're like a trolley, right? that's We're born like a trolley with a funny wheel that wants to go the wrong way. Luther said, Martin Luther said, we're curved in on ourselves. What does that mean? It means we're born to be selfish. And I think anyone with just a skerrick of self-awareness deep down knows this. That's why we can relate to the the fable of the frog and the scorpion. Do you know it? It's been used in lots of TV shows and movies, which I find fascinating. The fable goes like this. There's a scorpion. Talks to a frog. He says, can you help me across the river? I can't swim and I need a lift. You can swim. You're a frog. Now, the frog's surprised at this because they're sworn enemies. The scorpion, obviously, an attacking animal. And he thinks, well, no, I'm not interested in you jumping on my back and giving you a lift over the river because you'll sting me. And the scorpion says, froggy, buddy, why would I do that? That's mutually assured destruction. If I sting you, when we're going across the river, we'll both drown because I can't swim. I'm not going to do that to you. Frog says, good logic. All right, I'll give you a lift. Scorpion jumps on frog's back. They go across the river, halfway across the river. You probably know what happens. The frog feels an almighty sting in his neck. He turns around, what? What? The scorpion sting him, stung him. Why did you do that? Now we're both going to drown. Why did you do that? And what does he say? Scorpion says to the frog, I couldn't help myself. It's in my nature. Fascinating, isn't it? There is an irresistible pull in every single one of us to sin the gravity that brings humanity down into the dirt. And unfortunately, we, we live there in the dirt. The law can't save us or inspire us to obey. And I tell you what, left on our own with the law, we're in a pretty sad and frustrating place. And I'll say, unfortunately, this was my experience as a young person, I thought Christianity was like this. And I think a lot of people who have come into contact with some part of the church, think Christianity is like that too. It's a bunch of rules. I can't keep them, so I'm not interested. And I tell you what, if that's your version of Christianity, I don't blame you because I'm not interested either. Christianity without grace? Ooh, no, thank you. The law shoved in your face. This is what you've got to do and no power to do it. It's a fundamentally incorrect view of what it means to be a Christian. When I was young, I thought, yeah, God's good, but he's asking me to do a lot of things and I can't do it. I was pretty aware of my rebel heart. When we're struggling with sin, the last thing we need is somebody to shove the law in our face. This is what you need to do. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I can't. I need help. Haven't I just proved to you that I can't? And I tell you what, it's no wonder it turns people off because it's hopeless and frustrating. And you know what? The Apostle Paul has had the experience like this. Check out Romans 7 for me, from, with me from verse 21. This is the Apostle Paul who wrote Romans. He says this, So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What's his cry at the end? What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Maybe you felt the same frustration. How can I get out of this spiral, this circle? Here's the answer. Oh, you're glad you're here this morning. There is an answer. Verse 3, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did. God did. By sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. Let me tell you, folks, the answer does not come from within. It doesn't come from inside us. There's something quite inspirational about hearing, you have what it takes, isn't there? Live your truth, maybe a version of it, or to thine own self be true. And I kind of get it. It sounds nice. And in a sense in which live your life, not, not somebody else's, I think it's great. But I tell you what, you have what it takes to do it. It sounds nice until you realize you can't. And then, ultimately, it's crippling. It turns from a nice statement into a millstone hung around your neck. That's the truth. The answer isn't find it from within. You'll be looking and looking and looking and you will despair because it's not there. The answer also isn't, Change all the externals, right? Move to a better suburb, a better pl- move to Mossman. Move somewhere beautiful, right? Or get educated, work for a strong good political system. They're all good things, really good things, but they're not the answer. They're not the solution. What's the saying? I can change everything, but I'm still stuck with me. Everywhere I go, there I am. What's the answer? You know it. God did it. Because you couldn't, because I couldn't. God did it. God doing the dirty work. What does Paul say? Who will rescue me? What does God say? I will. And here, friends, is where our assurance and our confidence comes from. Because our no condemnation, our eternal yes, is based on what someone else has done. So we can have confidence. i tell you what, if it was based on our performance, I'd say, yeah, you have good reason to be uncertain. Because our performance... Every day it's up and down. Where am I at? But it's not based on how we're doing. It's based on what God has done. So our certainty can be sure. Friends, let me ask you, are you grasping yet how wonderful the gospel is? How unique and how beautiful it is? So how did God do it? We know the answer. We're just going to spend a couple of moments here. We know he sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh, to be a sin offering. Two quick things to note here. Jesus is the unique God-man who can do it. Sin, which is our problem, not God, not the law, but sin is attacked from two angles. The first, Jesus, the God-man, is sent in the likeness of sinful flesh. It's a lovely way of putting it, right? Jesus became a man, the king of heaven, came down here to save us, like us with one key difference. What is it? Without sin. The only one ever without sin. Everyone who sins is on the hook for their own sin. The one who doesn't sin is uniquely placed to forgive another's sin. You see? He remains sinless. Because Jesus was sinless, uniquely placed to take on the sinner somewhere else, someone else. And amazingly, this is what Jesus chose to do. The God Man, Jesus Christ, unique in His role. Years ago, when we were touring the states, I was in a rock band for many years, and uh, we had this just hunk of junk of a bus to get us around. It was a Ford, and it was old, and we could only afford to sort of patch it together with duct tape, and so it broke down all the time. It's one particular time, driving through the night, in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of night, somewhere in the cornfields of Middle America, and it's three o'clock in the morning. We pull up to fill up with gas, petrol, and there's no one there. Everything's automated, and we fill the car up and we try and put the car in drive. It won't work. Something's wrong with it. And you've got basically a few North Shore boys, got no idea about mechanics, right? And they had nothing to do about buses. And we, we're in trouble here. We don't know how to fix this thing. So we said, what can we, what can we do? We can pray. Someone popped up. We can pray. Yeah, we should pray. And so we prayed. God help us. We're stuck. We're going to miss the show unless we get going. We prayed, amen. We look up, a car pulled in, the only one that had pulled in for a long time. Let's, we better go ask this person if they can help us. Yeah, you go. I'm right behind you. Um, and so we asked this person, can you help us? Our bus is broken down. Um, he asked a couple of questions. He yeah, answered Ford, and he said, he said, mate. He didn't say mate. He probably said buddy, y'all, something like that. It is your lucky day. I used to be a Ford bus mechanic True story. True story. And he patched us together and we got to go to the next show. Unbelievable. If anyone else showed up in that moment, couldn't have helped us. If I'd showed up, I would not have been able to help. But this man was uniquely gifted in order to help us. Jesus Christ, uniquely gifted in order to help us. Unique in his essence. Perfect in his divinity and fully human yet sinless. Uniquely qualified. Uniquely qualified. The Bible says the wages of sin, that is, those who sin, what do they get because of their wages? Death. You know what Jesus says? The wages of sin is death, but my death, not yours. God condemns sin in the flesh at the cross. Sin is punished at the cross, not us. Thank you, Jesus. And therefore, back to where we started, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. We are no longer prisoners of sin. Hell is off the agenda never to be back. Eternity with God, a reality, a certainty. But even more than that, can you imagine more? There's hope for the here and now. And this is what this series will particularly dive into there is hope for the here and now why because the controlling power of sin is broken in our lives will it still affect us of course the controlling power of sin is broken so okay is grace then is the death of jesus a license to do whatever we want to rebel can we just do what we want of course not well how I'm going to mention this briefly because the focus for next week. The answer simply is the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We are not alone. We are not alone in this life. We have the power to change. Not only do we receive grace as a gift, we receive the Holy Spirit as a gift, and he gets to work transforming us and convicting us of sin in our lives. Through the work of the Spirit, He makes us alive, sets us free from sin's controlling power. God sent Jesus, His Son, not just so that we would no longer bear guilt, but so that we would also bear fruit. Because of Christ, we're not condemned. Because of the Spirit, we have a new future. Yeah, We have a new heart that wants to fulfill God's desires. You see that? We have new desires. It's a massive difference. This is a huge difference for life. The difference, why? Because our motivation has changed. You see, what the law could not do, can't motivate us to change. The Holy Spirit does by doing what? Giving us a new heart that wants what God wants. We want to love God and we want to love others because of the work of the Spirit in us. Meeting Jesus and the power of his love changes us and frees us. You see that? You see the difference from a nagger, which the law is do this, do that. Lots of shoulds. Changing that to a love relationship. It is the difference. Gives us the power to change. Same desired result, but the motivation is so different. um, At school and particularly later high school, I struggled, I wasn't much of an academic, it might come as a surprise to some of you, probably not to most of you, um, and yeah, you know, I, I struggled to have the motivation, I wanted to be out with my friends, playing sport, doing anything else, and it was hard to the, for the motivation to do work, homework and assignments, and uh, I was struggling with it, particularly later in high school, and my mum and I, there was lots of heated discussions about this. Uh, well, one holiday, so I don't blame her Right, being a parent. One holiday, she put a foot down. She said, look, you can't go on this church camp until you do your assignments, or right, until you finish them. It's probably fair enough. But at the time, I was bummed about it, and it, it didn't work. I went, yeah, 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 I didn't do them. until, Until I found out the girl I really liked <laughs> was going to be on that camp then how quickly do you think I finished my assignments? Pretty quick. Oh, yeah. I don't know how good they were, but I got them done. You see the difference I'm trying to illustrate here? Okay. Something different is at work now in us. The law doesn't motivate. The law doesn't bring about change, even if it's right. And we've seen that, haven't we? It is meeting the love of God in Jesus Christ, his forgiveness that changes us. When you know, no matter your performance, that you are accepted, that you are loved, that changes everything. And let me say this morning, if you have never experienced this, you can. This is the most inclusive invitation the world knows. Open to all. All that would put up their hand and say, I want to experience that. I want to experience the love, acceptance, and forgiveness that God offers in Jesus Christ. It is open to all. And you can receive it this morning simply by praying, which we're going to do in a moment. That is the gift of grace. And we, as I've said, we also gifted the spirit that helps us do what God wants us to do, to love him and love others the difference between a set of rules and a love that accepts and walks with us, that's what we're talking about. Okay, let's finish up. Let's finish up. We're going to have the Lord's Supper in a moment together. Where to from here? I think many of us, I'll put it out there, I think many of us grew up, have experienced criticism, have experienced comparison, maybe between siblings, friends, from parents, maybe teachers, people that we respected, and the truth is these things scar us and they affect how we view God. Let me tell you, you can still be old (laughs) and still trying to prove your parents or others wrong. In Christ, we are freed from this. Do you know that? God doesn't work like this. There is no condemnation. We're forgiven, accepted, It changes everything. And so where to then with our battle with sin, where does it leave us, friends? It's a good question, isn't it? Well, A well-known pastor said this often, and I, I like it. What do you think? He said, you can't engage with a fight against sin unless you know that sin's already forgiven. Say it again. You can't engage with a fight against sin unless you know that sin is already forgiven. Otherwise we're stuffed, right? I think it's true. We need to know the sins dealt with before we can deal with it. What does it mean? Friends, it means there's hope. It's not hopeless. So together in knowing our sin is forgiven, we can boldly approach the throne of grace. Why? Because of Jesus already loved and accepted. Therefore, we can be vulnerable with him when it comes to confessing our sin because we know he won't condemn us. So what we can do, what I would love us to do in this time of communion just before is we can stare down the sin in our lives. We can stare down the many failures and we can claim this. There is no condemnation For those in Christ Jesus, we can claim that promise. Believe it, friends. We can claim it. And then from this place, we can ask God, reveal the sin of my life. Reveal where you want me to change. I invite the Holy Spirit to do his work in me. Forgive me. And we know that he will. So we're going to have a couple of moments of quiet as the elements are passed around. I just invite you, be still, be quiet, and invite God, the Holy Spirit, to do his work in you, to reveal sin. And then together we'll confess it, knowing that he will forgive. So let's just have a couple of moments of quiet, and then I'll lead us in prayer. Thanks. You want to hand them around? Thanks,